If you have your Bibles, please turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. Tonight we're going to be studying a passage um, that reveals the main purpose of why Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote this letter to Timothy uh, and the church at Ephesus. And so obviously, if that's the, if that's the case, if, he's talk, if we're looking at the main purpose of why he wrote this, that should gain our attention. Um, and, and I think that as we go through it, you're going to see it's not just worth our attention, but this, this passage calls us as Christians to action. This is not one of those passages where you can kind of look at it and nod your head, and okay, that sounds good, and move on with the rest of your life. God here in this passage really calls us to action as Christians in some profound ways. Um, and as, as you're turning there to 1 Timothy 3, I want to begin by sharing some facts about the eating and training habits of Olympic swimmer Michael Phelps. So Phelps, if you're unaware, is an American swimmer. Uh, he is the most decorated Olympian of all, of all time. 22 medals over three Olympics, 18 of the 22 being gold medals. Uh, and as you might imagine, this accomplishment came through intense commitment and training to his craft. So uh, just a little insight on what that commitment looked like. Now, this was taken from an article about Phelps during the heat of his training uh, leading up to the 2008 Olympics. So uh, Michael Phelps would consume 12,000 calories each day. The the average man consumes or needs around 2,000. A typical power lifter consumes 8,000. And Phelps was at 12,000 a day. This was uh, his typical breakfast, lunch, and dinner. His, his typical breakfast consisted of three fried egg sandwiches topped with cheese, lettuce, tomato, fried onion, and mayo, and toast, and an omelet, and porridge, and three pancakes, and two cups of coffee. Uh, Phelps' lunch usually consisted of a pound of pasta, two ham and cheese sandwiches, uh, approximately 1,000 kilocalories of energy drinks, and then for dinner, another pound of pasta, a pizza, and more energy drinks. This sounds like heaven to me. Uh, In addition to this, he would take multiple protein supplements just to keep his muscles in top condition. Uh, As far as training went, he would train six hours a day, six days a week, without fail, no matter what. I mean, there was these stories, true stories of him, of some of the training days landed on Christmas. He, he swam six hours on Christmas. Some of them landed on his birthday, which, I, again, for me, feels like a national holiday for me. Right? I just celebrated my half birthday. None of you said happy half birthday. I asked my kids, where are the presents? No presents, you know. And so I celebrate my half birthday and my birthday. This dude, when the training day fell on his birthday, six hours in the pool. And I thought this... This was the sentence of the article. It says, it was this type of um, commitment and, quote, total dedication to his training program that made him a world champion. Total dedication. Phelps each week would swim approximately 50 miles. So can you imagine what it felt like to go all in like that? Can you imagine that type of intensity, that type of focus, and then fast forward, can you imagine standing on that Olympic platform, victorious, gold medal around his neck, hearing the, the American national anthem being played? So what's my point? My point is that things worth living for take work. 
take effort, take sacrifice, take diligence, take commitment. And if this is true about something as ultimately trivial as swimming, how much more true is it of something as ultimately important as living for God and living for God's glory? Now, I'm not saying what Michael Phelps did was worthless. I'm I'm not, I am not saying that. I'm not saying what he did was a waste. What I'm saying is if people are willing to invest and commit and sacrifice for things like that, how much more passionate should we be as Christians to invest and commit and sacrifice when it comes to living for Jesus? This evening, as we look at God's Word, God is going to give us a picture of what it means to be the church, and what it means to be followers of Christ. And we're going to see that God calls us to effort. He's going to call us to action. He's going to tell us that it's going to cost us. But what He says is that it will be totally worth it, both now and in the age to come. So let's read it. 1 Timothy 3.14 to the end of chapter 4. And, and, And both parents and teens, I want to encourage you, Listen for all the action words in this passage. Look for all the action words in this passage. So 1 Timothy 3, beginning in verse 14. This is the perfect Word of God. I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Now, the Spirit expressly says, that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is to, if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is made holy by the word of God in prayer. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with a reverent Silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way. As it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end, we toil and strive. Because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Hear this, team. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. 
Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gifts you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this. For by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Lord, we pray that you would give us grace to both understand and apply this message. Lord, we want to be doers of the word. Give us grace, Lord. Holy Spirit, give us strength and grace to be doers of the word. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. So here's the big truth this evening. As the church... And as individual Christians, we are called by God to know the truth, display the truth, and be conformed to the truth for the good of the world and the glory of our God. I'll I'll repeat that. As the church and as individual Christians, we are called by God to know the truth, display the truth, and be conformed to the truth for the good of the world and the glory of God. Three points. Point number one, living as the household of faith. Point number one, living as the household of faith. God uh, loves visual learners. If you're, if you're a visual learner like me, God loves you. And I know He loves you because He gives you these word pictures in the Scriptures. He, he helps you. Yes, He describes what these different things are, but He, he gives us these pictures of, uh, that get, get our minds and get our eyes kind of spiritually around these things. And so God gives us uh, these different word pictures of what the church is to be. And he gives us some of the most special ones in this passage. And so we see in verse 15 that we are the household of God. If you're a Christian, you are part of the household of God. When God saves us, Josh said it, I think, this evening, when God saves us, he does not leave us isolated. The Bible has no, absolutely no understanding of a Christian staying unconnected to a local church. We, we do see where people are saved, but they never are saved and then and stay there unconnected. They are connected. They are brought in to the household of God. We are being saved. We, we become children of God. That, that means, and, I, and I've said this so many times, but it, it is worth Repeating again and again, you are brothers and sisters in the faith. You are a part of the family of God. A family loves to be together. Loves to grow together. Loves when there's new additions to the family. Friends of ours uh, adopted a child from Africa, and yet it has been two years of um, the government saying no, 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 no. Two years. And they got to this point of just utter, it's never going to happen. They actually went over and saw him. They spent time with him. They thought they were right on the cusp of it, and they were sent back. And they went just a couple days ago, and they... They got their son and they brought him home. And there were dozens and dozens of people at the airport. Family and friends 
waiting. It was like they couldn't wait for that young boy to get home. They had been praying for him for two years. And the, the very moment he hit American soil, they wanted to meet him and hug him. He was now one of them. As family members, we miss one another when we are apart. The church is to be the same in all of these ways. To love one another. To grow together. To love when there's new additions. To miss each other when we're apart. We are the household of God. The second phrase we see here is that, that we are the church of the living God. We are the church of the living God. Not only are we a part of a family, but the living God dwells with us. The church is not just a family. The the church is the greatest family you could ever be a part of. Your blood family uh, might be disconnected. There might be hardship. There there might be um, bitterness and cynicism. and, And you might be an outcast in their eyes. And yet if you are a Christian, you are a part of the greatest family one could ever be a part of because the Father is no none other than the living God himself. As we talked about last month, the temple of the false god Diana loomed large in Ephesus. So there's this massive temple in Ephesus to this false god. And and Paul here, in highlighting living God, is, is, is not so subtly saying, that is nothing more than a fancy coffin to a dead god. Yeah, very impressive looking. There is nothing inside. You, as the people of God, are family and are in the presence of the true and living God. And as we go on to read, since it is the home of God, it is the home of truth. This is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. And and we as His children are called by God to display this truth to the world around us. The third phrase there is, the people of God are the pillar and buttress of the truth. Not a truth, not truth, the truth. Teens, you are being inundated. I was inundated when I was a teen and it's only kind of getting ramped up louder and louder and louder. That truth is whatever you want it to be. That truth is whatever the majority of Americans think at a given time. That truth is whatever a certain set of Supreme Court justices declare. But none of that is true. The Bible makes clear God is the truth, right? Jesus, I am the way and the truth and the life. Jesus is the truth. And everything that God says is truth. Psalm 119, the sum of your words is truth. Truth is an objective fact. It's not up for debate. It's not up for discussion. You don't get to say what is true. God says what is true. And one of the major responsibilities of the church is to hold up the truth. To be a pillar, to be a buttress, is to hold something up. A pillar, something, when you think pillar, you think White House. Pillars hold, like White House, hold up the roof. A a buttress, that's a very unflattering name for actually something that looks very pretty. I I was looking at it online, and it just, it deserves a prettier name. It's these, these beautiful arches. So you have the building, and then these arches hold it together. It, it lifts it up. It, it makes it, uh, it displays the building in all of its beauty. That's what the church is to be when it comes to the truth. 
The church is to hold the truth of God up to the world. And, and what I love about God's Word is how it talks about this. This is so important. And we don't have time to talk about all its implications, but the church is both founded on the Word and it displays the Word. The church doesn't say what is true. It's not like me and CB get in a room and then we come out and we say, after discussion, this is what is true. No, the truth is what do the Scriptures say. Ephesians 2, 19-22. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Listen, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. That is shorthand for scripture. The apostles and prophets are the teaching of God's word. So the church is built on the word. What do we believe? What the word says. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. And so in one way, the church is built on the word. Everything I'm saying tonight, the only thing that should matter is what does the Word say? So that's what it means to be built on the Word. But we also, as the church, display the truth. We are to be pillars of the truth. Teens, parents, this truth, it it has to go deep down in our heart. It has to be one of those foundational things. Because one, it's massively practical because either you will obey God in this or you will not. Because it's not, it's a command for all of us. And the direction and the future of Christ's community depends, or at least will be greatly affected by our understanding and application of this truth. There are sadly so many churches that are trying to look like the world so that they might attract the world to themselves. We, we need to look like the world so the world wants to be around us. And, and while their motive might be right, I'm not saying it's right, I'm saying it might be right, the, the desire to want to draw people, okay, that's, that's an okay motive, that could be a right motive, but the direction they are going in seeking to accomplish it is wrong. We are not called by God as a church to look like the world, but to rather display something very different. We are called by God to lovingly, boldly display Him and His truth, even if it's in opposition to the world. And trust that as we do, as as you are a pillar of truth, as as we as a church are a pillar of truth, that, that people will be attracted to the truth by God's grace, just like we were. I wasn't looking for the gospel when God attracted me to the gospel. I wasn't looking for Christ's community the Sunday I came into Christ's community. And I, big shock, I didn't stay because of how, how cool you all are, right? I didn't think that's C.B. Etter, man. That's the coolest pastor I've ever met in my whole life. I want to stay here. The smoke machines. Man, those smoke machines were awesome that Sunday. No. I came because as he preached the word, I realized I'm missing something in my life. I have this degree in Christian studies, and yet I'm missing what that guy has. And it was the gospel at the center of my existence. We're not called to look like the world. Can I... Say this graciously. Don't ever go to a church and their greatest desire is to be like the world so that they can attract the world because they're not being biblical. God's Word says here, 
the church is to be a, bill, a pillar and buttress of the truth. We are to, to display that. And teens, this is not just for CB and I. This is not just for, as your pastors, the pastors are called to display the truth in their sermons. That's true. That's not where it ends. If you are a Christian, you are to be a pillar of the truth in your home, on your team, in the band, at school, at co-op, at work. God, wherever you are, wants you to be a pillar of truth. Parents, we are called to be pillars of truth in the workforce. God, in saving you, has not called you to look like the world, but to be a pillar of holding up the truth of God to our friends, to our our fellow students, to teachers, to neighbors, to family. And what a glorious task! What a privilege! Don't see that as a brick in your backpack, another thing to do in my life. What an unbelievable privilege that God has saved you and said, hey, I want you to tell other people about me. I want you to tell them where they can have hope. Think about how hard our life is. If you're a Christian, think about how hard your life is as a Christian. And I know it's hard. Think about how much worse it is if you were not a believer. I think about the trials of my life. I know God is sovereign. I know He loves me. I know He's for me. I know I have an eternity to look forward to. Can you imagine if you are not a believer tonight? There's no hope. There's not not really any true hope. There's a clamoring for the things of this world and hoping the world satisfy, and they know it doesn't. And we have that? Well, what a privilege to be able to go to our, our family and friends and be able to say in, in you know, different ways and in praying for them and being a model for them and in times just breaking that sound barrier and saying, I gotta talk to you. What a privilege. And, and we see that. Verse 16, great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. Mystery in verse 16 is not like a a riddle. Mystery of godliness is something that was not revealed that now is. And we see this in Scripture, right? The Old Testament is is highlighting about this Messiah and and talking about this Messiah, but then he comes in all his fullness. And it's it's just this massive inbreaking of God into creation. And and so we just see here, we we think that it might have been um, something that they repeated in the early church. He was manifested in the flesh. Jesus comes and becomes one of us, vindicated by the Spirit, meaning approved by the Spirit. He, you know, at his baptism, this is the one who I am well pleased with, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. It's this shorthand for Christ's perfect life and his death on the cross for our sins, and his resurrection, that he didn't stay dead, that he's alive right now, and he was taken up in glory. And the whole world has heard about him. Point two. Some will depart from the faith. Some will depart from the faith. Paul is highlighting to Timothy and to the church that we must be fierce in our commitment to the truth. Because bad theology is coming. We are to be a pillar We are to present and display the truth. Yes, for the world, but also for us. We need the truth. We need to be committed and fierce in our commitment and holding to the truth because bad theology is coming. Men who teach lies are coming. And some among us could be tempted to follow these lies and suffer the consequences. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in later times, 
Some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are, consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require absence from foods that God required to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. This is sadly not the first time we see this warning. Jesus in Matthew 24 talks about how there is a great tribulation coming and it is, it has already occurred. We, 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 we know that the end times is everything from Christ's ascension to his return. And Jesus says they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. What he's saying here is that there will be a group of people that follow you when it's really good. There's going to be a a group of people that will be following you when it's thousands being saved day by day and yet when it gets hard, they're going to flee. When they start to see the cost, they're going to say, nah, I'm, I'm good. Paul talks about this. He says, you know, after he leaves Ephesus, he says to them in Acts 20, fierce wolves are going to come in among you, not sparing the flock. And then we see here, the Holy Spirit expressly says, some will depart from the faith. What, what that means is that they will denounce the primary tenets of the Christian faith. And in in so doing, they will reject the living God that they said they wanted to follow. Some will depart from the faith. They will say that they affirm the deity of Christ. They will say they affirm the sinfulness of man. They, They will affirm repentance and faith in Christ alone. They will affirm the Trinity. They will affirm heaven and hell. And yet... These people will come in teaching things that are not true and they will depart. And we see here, you know, Paul is saying in later times, but then he goes in to give specifics happening in Ephesus. And so it's not, oh, will it be in our lifetime? Is it going to come? Has it come already? It was happening in Ephesus. There were people saying, if you get married, you can never be saved. If you eat these certain foods, you will never be saved. They they contorted the gospel to something it was not. And sadly, this continues today. Teens, the words of Jesus and the words of Paul, and I use these words, I really thought about these words, they should instruct us, they should um, give us pause, but not scare us. They should give us, they should instruct us, they should give us pause. You shouldn't flippantly move past them, but you should not be scared by them either. We, we do want to look at that and not brush it off. We, we don't want to look at that. It never could happen to me. No, not me. I'm too smart. I'm too smart theologically. I, I would see it coming a mile away. God gives us warnings on purpose and they are a gift. But we should not be scared. If you are a genuine believer, if you have repented of your sin and you trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior, God's got you and He's not letting go. God makes that promise that you can be, that you can have true assurance of salvation and you can believe that God's got me. As your pastors, we want you to have assurance of salvation. There, there are some out there who said you cannot have assurance. You can have assurance. That was all of last year looking at 1st John. 
If, if you don't have assurance, go back and read First John again. Or talk to your parents or talk to me. We'd love to talk with you about that. You can have assurance of salvation, but do not be... Do, do, do say, I'll say in the positive, do not, I want you to realize that we are not unopposed when it comes to these things. The devil wants to take you out. False teachers exist in Berks County. False teachers exist in America. They are on the TV. They are in Christian bookstores. They are in our area preaching in pulpits. They are in college classrooms. And we have to be aware of it. Not scared by it. We need to be aware of it. God has it here as a warning, not to scare us, but to caution us. I said this a few months back. No false teacher is going to come up to you and say, hey, I'm a false teacher. Please read my book. Or I'm a false teacher. Become a member of my church. I'd love to have you. You know, college professors, not always. I mean, maybe sometimes they're they're getting more bold. But college professors are not going to say, I hate Christianity and I don't want you to be a Christian. They often will not say these type of things. And yet we're called to sometimes be in these college classrooms. And just by God's providence, we interact with these type of books or enter into these type of churches as years go on. Are you aware? Are you discerning? Are you and I ready for these moments? There is a church very close to this building. And the senior pastor does not believe in hell does not believe that Jesus died on the cross for sins. And I guarantee you, because I see it week in and week out, that parking lot will be so full that there are cars down the road parking on the street to hear him. And he is not quiet about it. It's not like, well, I know, or, you know, I I can inference. He is leading a, or he's about to lead a group of men through a book that says hell is not real. And that church will have people there tomorrow morning. And it is only by the grace of God that, that that I love God's Word and I believe it. I'm not better than that guy. I'm probably not smarter than that guy. And yet he believes false doctrine. People should be running out of that church tomorrow, literally for their lives. Literally for their lives. They should be running out of there when he says that type of stuff and yet he and yet they don't. And it is right for us to cry out and ask God for grace for them, but it is right for us to cry out for grace for us. And that brings us to our last point. Point three, train yourself for godliness. Train yourself for godliness. This last section, in one respect, uh, Paul is talking to Timothy as a lead pastor, but it's not just to... Timothy. It is, it is to the church in Ephesus. It is to us as well. There is a call to action here, teens, that, that all of us must take seriously. Because when it comes to false teachers, when it comes to false doctrine, you will know if you train yourself in the Word. You, as you abide in Christ, as you spend time with Christ, as you know the Word, and you hear false theology, you're going to know that's wrong. That's not what God's Word says. Here's what God's Word says. 
So look at it with me there. Verses 6 and 7. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Verse 7, have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. Both phrases, present tense. Trained, being, tra- being trained in the word, train yourself for godliness. These are present tense. Be in the word. Train yourself in the Word. Know it. Apply it. So you can, yes, display it, but so you can know it for your own soul, for the good of your own soul. Timothy is a church kid. Timothy grew up in the faith. His mom, his grandma were believers. Timothy was a church kid. It's not like he's new to the block. It's like, you're new here. Hey, read this. I think sometimes as church kids, the temptation is, I know, I know, I know. Timothy knew the Word. It says it there, right? Being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Yes, Timothy, you know the word. And yet, keep going. Keep staying close to Jesus. There's going to be no point in your life where you don't need the word anymore. There's going to be no time where you don't need Christ anymore. In relationship with Jesus, hey, it used to matter. doesn't anymore. No, it, it increasingly matters every day of your life. Train means to be nourished. Fed on the Word of God. That's what it's saying here. Feed on the Word of God for the purpose of growing in godliness. Have nothing to do with the reverent, silly myths. Don't waste your life on worthless, trivial things that have no value. Team, don't waste your life. Can you imagine... It's one thing if your parents just, they didn't want anything to do with Christ and they they didn't want anything to do with the church and they were just showing you the world every single day. The world, the world, the world. You'd still be accountable, but I get it. You, You have parents who are saying to you, that is worthless. And yet in our sin, there's this, I want the world, I want the world, I want, I want the irreverent, silly, stupid stuff. And God is, God is saying here, have nothing to do with it. Don't waste your life with worthless pursuits. Will you allow the Word of God to speak louder than you? Will I be humble enough to say, God, you might know more than me. And I don't want to find out at the end that you were right. I want to believe it now. I love you, teens. I feel so much compassion for you. I feel so much grace for you. I, 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 I pray all the time that I would just be a patient pastor to you. And I know myself how hard it is to be in the Word. I get it. I'm so, I'm so thankful for the Bible reading plan because it just, it just, it's been for me. Gotta be in there. Gotta be in there. And someone the other day on Facebook's like, aren't you behind? I'm like, yeah, I'm behind. What a shock. I'm behind. What a shock. The pastor's behind the Bible reading plan. It's hard at times to read the Bible. And I want you to know that. But don't stop there. Please don't stop there. Don't have to throw away. I just got more things to do. I got other things to do. It's not that important. It's hard for me. I don't, I don't get anything. I, I know all of that can be temptations. Look at the word here. It's commanding us. It's, it's pleading with us. Train yourself for godliness. Be in the word, even if it's just a little bit every day. Just trust God to let it pour over you. And as it pours over you, don't, don't quickly hit the eject button where, you know, Monday I tried, nothing happened, and, and I move on. 
It's important to be in the local church. It's important to, to be in fellowship. There's a lot of blessing in, in the spiritual life. Just being with God is the most important. You know, and, and I say this graciously, but just people, I've never heard God speak. Are you in the Word? No. Well, okay. I, I know why you don't hear God speak. Every time you read the Word, God is speaking loud and clear. Not in part, but in full here. There are, t- I mean, just you read, this is God speaking to us. I love that phrase, train yourself for godliness. It's what that is meaning. Godliness. What does that mean, godliness? He goes into some real specifics in a moment, but, but godliness, you know what godliness means? It means keeping God at the center of all you do. Godliness is keeping God at the center of all you do. It's to be like, like David in Psalm 16-8 when he says, I have set the Lord always before me. To be increasingly godly is to say, I have set the Lord always before me, remembering who He is, remembering what He's done, remembering the Gospel and the grace of Christ, remembering what He's currently doing, what He promises to do, and to live for His glory. That I'm not God, that He is. And I'm not building my kingdom. I get to be a part of being used in the building of His That doesn't mean saying God, 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 God all the time. It means being a follower of Christ all the time. That when you're at school, you're doing it for the glory of God. When you're at work, you're doing it for the glory of God. What does it mean for me in my home tomorrow morning to live for the glory of God? To to say that I have set the Lord always before me. I'm going to act different, aren't I? I'm going to talk different. I'm going to give different. I'm going to sacrifice different. This this isn't about earning something. This isn't God slipping works in the back door. We are saved by grace alone, through the work of Christ alone. And yet as Christians, in a joyful response of worship, we get to go all in, in following Christ and setting Him always before us. Verse 8, bodily training is of some value. Damien is kicking my butt and running right now. And he let me go out and run with him. He probably ran half the speed he usually does. And I was just, I was out there trying to get back at it, coughing and spitting the whole time. And it was, uh, those guys probably disgusted the whole time, you know. And so I was just, I didn't enjoy one bit of that four mile run except being with those boys, right? But I do it because I know I should get out there. I know it's good for my body. So it's not that bodily training is not of any value. It's of some value. But godliness. Godliness is of value in every way. You putting God at the center of all that you do, you will never regret it. It's not one of those things where I'm saying to you, be in the Word and abide in Christ and walk with Him and talk with Him. And years from now you're going to say, you know, that was a real waste. I guarantee you it will not be. Because God's Word says it will not be. Living for the world will be a waste for your life. Living for Christ, both now and in the age to come. Totally worth it. And then we just go into this great detail. Verse 11. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth. But set the believers an example. In speech. What are the words that are coming out of your mouth? Is God at the center of all you say? In your conduct. In love. I'm just recognizing in my life, I just have 
so many opportunities every day to love people. Or not. To, to love my kids, to love my wife, to love my friends, to love my neighbors. Set them an example, teens. You should be an example. He's saying, be an example. Don't wait for others. That's such a teenage thing to do, isn't it? Well, let's see if they do it. No, you, you set the example. Your eyes are fixed on Christ, not other people. Who cares what other people think of you? What does Christ think of you? And so many of you are like that, where it's just, you know, just, I'm, I want to meet this person. I want to go up to them and I want to say hello. I, I don't care how other people talk. I want to talk in a way that honors God. In faith. I love that. In faith. What does it look like in faith to train yourself for godliness? I think it means believing big things of God. I think it's stepping out in big ways. I think it's being fearful of something and stepping into it and saying, God, I trust you. I'm scared. I trust you. Impurity. Impurity. To be men and women who set the example in purity. Again, eyes fixed on Christ. And then it's there in verses 15 and 16 in the close. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them. Immerse yourself in them. It's not... Here's the temptation. Here's my temptation when I was a teenager. Uh, Jesus, if you want to be in, in my life, that sounds good. Uh, I got a lot of stuff going on. So you want to tack on to this? No big deal. Uh, I've got a lot going on already. But if you want to kind of join the party, that's fine. There's a small role for you over here. That's not a follower of Christ. A, a follower of Christ is all in. Immerse yourself in them. To know and to make God known is to be the primary passion of each one of our lives. This, this teen, this passage is not for the super Christian. It's not for the adult. It says, let no one despise you for your youth. This is to you. Are you all in? Is Christ the thing of supreme worth in your life? You were headed to hell. If you're a Christian, you were headed to hell forever. And now you're forgiven of all your sins. You're going to heaven forever. We can spend and be spent for Christ in this life. And it's not just, well, here's the sacrifice. He's saying, yeah, there's sacrifice. Yeah, you're, you're going to be called to say no to things. You're going to be called to that type of, of commitment and intensity and just this is the most important thing in my life, which means other things aren't. And yet God says, nothing greater could be done with your life than that, both now and in the age to come. Let's pray. Lord, we need your grace. This is a, a call to action. But we don't want to forget the rest of First Timothy, Lord. The word doesn't start here. First Timothy 3 is not the beginning of this letter, Lord. And so we, we pray, would you remind us that our platform is that of the gospel? Our platform is that of grace. Our platform is not that we have earned it, but that you have lived and died for us. That we are beggars. We hold out our hands and say, Lord, I repent of my sin and I trust in you. And that through that faith that we receive full forgiveness and perfect righteousness. And Lord, I pray if there's anyone here and they would admit, yeah, Jesus, but there's not this train yourself for godliness. Lord, I pray, would you just give us grace? We cannot do it in our own effort. We need you every step of the way.
And we believe You will meet us. Lord, even now, uh, as we begin to close and, and we get to the, the time with our, our, our parents, Lord, help us to be real. Help us to be authentic. And, and Lord, help us uh, to apply this message one to another. In Jesus' name, amen.